This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I want to update you on this story because we talked about it a good chunk yesterday. Here's the headline. Today, and it was from late afternoon yesterday, you heard about this in Essa, um, Ontario, up near Barrie. Convicted sex offender and wife arrested two days after Ontario police issue rare public advisory. Gives, gives me two um, prevailing thoughts. One, let's make those public advisories less rare because then arrests can be made once public advisories are put out. Okay. A convicted sex offender was arrested along with his wife two days after this happened. Loriston Maloney's 42 and Amber Maloney, 36. Stop it with the jokes and the texts about the about her first name. It's not there's good Ambers out there in the world. And you know that. They were taken into police custody um, and charged with multiple offenses, recruiting, exercising control, exploitation, assault, forcible confinement and financial benefit from committing a crime. Um, These are bad people. These are bad people. And yeah, he is because of his two prior convictions anyway. And so is she. Because, again, you can be who with who you want to be with, but you can't have a uh, in-home service provider for vulnerable kids on the autism spectrum on your property. You can't do both. You got to pick one. And she didn't. And that makes her bad. That's not a bad decision. That's a bad person making a similarly bad decision. Okay. Oh, but don't they get a trial? Why are you convicting them before they're innocent? Because I know better. Because I know better and so do you at this particular point in time. I guess if that disqualifies me from being on the jury for their uh, trials for all these multiple offenses, so be it. So be it. By the way, really quick, there was a um, a client of beating the odds. What's the, uh, the odds that were beaten, by the way, was that these people weren't arrested a year ago. Um, beating the odds... Um, a client named Lorelli Barrett, and she said she paid $70,000 for her son's services. Her quote, the honor was phenomenal. She was friendly. But then um, Barrett pointed out that the man had direct contact with her son. That's not supposed to happen. And the court said so upon his second conviction. He offered to drive my son home. Okay, wait a minute. I thought the owner was phenomenal and she was friendly. Dude shouldn't be offering random dude twice convicted of uh, chi- of of youth trafficking shouldn't be offering to drive your kid home. I see him there three to four times a week, whether it be in the mornings or afternoon. This is a total mess. How on earth? Police must have been biting their tongue, and I don't blame them for going, we got to say something. We got to get this out there. We have to do something. Say something. We had callers all morning. All morning yesterday, including during the eight o'clock hour, weigh in on the presence of this scenario and how uh, just out of sort it can make a community. These people, uh, you know, it's it's a society issue. The judges let these people out, and uh, I don't know how to deal with it. But- I know, I know, but I can't do I can't do a judge's job, and I sh- I can't do a cop's job. Um, as well, you know how you have that, like find your iPhone or whatever, and you can make sure you know where your kids are, or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't want a bunch of dots. I don't want to be able to look at a bunch of dots of sex offenders within a five K rate. And I'm like, Oh, he's at the grocery store right now. I don't think we want to become that, but I think we need to know. We need to know more than they're letting us know. I'll put it that way. Oh, we got to know. And, uh, I, I guess I'm old school, but I, uh, <laughs> I don't see nothing wrong with a bit of vigilante justice. I know that's the, not the way of the world these days, but it's, 
you know, maybe that would help. Well, it sure isn't because because Jason, if you uh, act out your uh, vigilante tactics, then we're following you around when you get out. <laughs> like I don't, it becomes a bit of a perpetuating cycle. Y- yeah, you can't you can't have vigilante justice. A- any a- any movie I've seen from the fifties was like you got the feeling when that vigilante justice scene came up that it was kind of wrong. It, it, I, I, bright, but you lose yourself sometimes, and you've got a moment where you're like. Gee, it'd be nice if Hannibal Lecter got away. You wouldn't really feel that way if Hannibal Lecter was in your community. Okay, um, you you can't enforce your own laws. You kind. How would I put it? That guy that called us, who's great. That's fine. He's loud, welcome to opinion. He lacks some. What am I looking for? The legal authority to enforce laws that don't actually exist. So no, you can't perpetuate vigilante justice. But the cops can let us know more. And judges and the and the justice system can pe- keep people in prison much, much longer for crimes they are indeed convicted of. I don't know where this trial is going to go. I don't know where these charges are going to go. But like one day, it took one day for them to find, obviously, um, these guys didn't get jaywalking tickets yesterday. Forcible confinement, financial benefit from committing a crime, exploitation, assault. And we're talking about a woman running a place for kids on the autism spectrum. Um, Again, I don't want to judge them because they look like a mess together. I want to judge them because they are a mess based on these charges within 24 hours of this story coming to light. Excuse me for being a human being that can assess things. Uh, We'll get more on this story, of course, as the morning continues. That's for sure. Let's say good morning to Shiva Siddiqui. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. Here's what I'm wondering as I'm listening to you. What would possess someone to marry a sex offender? What's the um, appeal there? I have no idea. Why did wh- there's women that write serial killers yes, letters in true. prison? But they're in prison, right? There's, so I get that. I, I, didn't Pearl I Bernardo get of, remarried? I feel like he did. I feel like he has been remarried. I think you're right. I think you're in right. In all the Bernardo news in the spring and summer, I don't. Well, what know. What happens when you want to have kids with this person? You're married to a convicted sex offender know, and you want him to be the father of your children? I just don't understand. I don't know. Like, like again, you know, we could rent um, natural born killers on VHS and go, what's your motivation, Juliette Lewis? Or are you just as bad as Woody Harrelson? Like, really? I don't know. I don't have a great answer for yeah, that. I just don't understand it. The story is just beyond horrific. Like, I, you know how something even happens on your street sometimes in a subdivision? You're like, yeah, gives me the willies. Like, even if somebody had like a... A terrible moment or or whatnot. I mean, there was there was th- these beautiful kids were um, murdered in Ajax five, six years ago by this maniac boyfriend. And it's not on our street, but I know someone that lives on it. And they're basically like Shiva. Uh, they'll never shake it. They'll never shake looking imagine. at the house. Yeah. So imagine this and scenario the house is here. So there are new neighbors living in that house now. No. Oh, 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 that's a good question. I can't remember. It, it just so sits there. So could you there? live in a house where that happened? No. Could you buy? It was dirt cheap. Look, we're in a, we're in a housing I know, crisis. It's, an, it's such an, you're asking great questions. And, and it's an interesting, like, if you, when you're I couldn't the, either. When you're the real estate agent, you're showing it and you're like, yes. we've got a wonderful lookout onto the backyard. Um, there's woods behind it. And also one more note, um, right? There were yes. three deaths in here six years ago. Yeah. I don't have a great answer for that. But it's amazing that this story like popped so quickly because I'm Jason Chapman, our executive producer, said, OK, now there's been charges on this. But this isn't these aren't these aren't they're not bringing these people in for questioning. They must have them. Police must have them dead to rights on all this stuff. Recruiting, exploitation, assault, 
forcible confinement. <sighs> what are we talking about? Forcible confinement. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's expensive to live here. Taxes upon taxes upon taxes. We have a lot of people emigrating to Canada. But we have a fair share of amount of people leaving as well. And young adults. We've seen this. Young adults are headed out of Ontario in droves. I've said myself. I mean... I, you know, 25 years from now, when I'm in my 70s, if we don't fix health, I'm not staying here under this healthcare system. I won't. I won't do it. We need tweaks. We need to do more of what Europe is doing, not what America is doing, but what Europe's doing. Like, I'm on record. I won't stay. And there's obviously people uh, taking off right now and saying they are done. Our next guest, such a person, he's moved to Barbados. Um, brilliant there. Ronald Cameron from Hamilton, Ontario, joins us right now on Toronto today. It's great to have you on. Your story is so fascinating. And thanks for letting us uh, reach out and, and share share with people um, your decision. Congratulations. Anytime you make a big life decision, I'm sure you're pretty happy with how things have gone. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, it's Roland. It's a common mistake. Everyone calls me Roland. But okay. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's good to have a place to go to, um, but it's a uh, bittersweet. I would prefer to stay in my, my native Canada. You're, you laid out in a news story I looked at what you were paying for your mortgage in Hamilton versus what you're paying now in St. Philip Barbados. Tell our audience, if you, if you don't mind, what the difference is in terms of, of your finances. Um, when I first got my mortgage, it was around 3200 After the uh, multiple interest rates, we were getting close to about 5600 a month. Um, currently, right now, I'm paying a, just a little bit less than 3000 um, for a full house here in Barbados. So if uh, I do the math, you're saving about $30,000 a year on your mortgage. Like, holy Moses. And yeah, and we're not even including things like property tax and things like that. So how, how many sort of boxes have to get checked, Roland, before you come to this kind of decision? Um, it's been a, a death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. So it's been um, uh, my entire adult life just trying to get to where I think um, our parents were, mm-hmm. trying to have that Canadian dream. Um, when you start to not see it, you start to question yourself. And just through circumstances, I was able to work around the world and saw there was other options. And then I just started to make the calculation that maybe Canada wasn't the place that I could become old in. How'd you settle on Barbados? Uh, my family, my descendants, my family's from Barbados. So mm-hmm. like I have a, like my ancestors from Barbados. So culturally it, it's a, it's a nice little sink for me. I'm familiar with the culture. I blend in physically. So there was very little transition also English speaking. And it's also in the um, same time zone as, um, as Toronto. So I can work from, uh, from here and work in the, in the United States. It's um, yeah, it's a country of uh, 281,000 people an island country, uh, obviously. Um, was this just financial or did you look at anything else around you? I know our cities are kind of I think our cities are, are at a bit of a t- tipping point right now. And that's that's an overused expression. But I, I think I think it's going to get better. But I think it's going to take a good chunk of time to get better, to have uncomfortable conversations, to figure out you know, how, how, um, we need to, we need to fix some of our infrastructure. There's transit, there's roads, there's all that stuff, but there's also, I've just mentioned immigration out of the gate, emigration here, people coming in huge numbers and, and not only do they need housing, but they need, they need roads and they need places to work and they need places to, um, to, to trap like roads to, to go on. 
Yeah, well, historically, Canada, we don't spend money on our infrastructure. So that was bound to come and haunt us, right? That's what we're seeing right now. Uh, I have no problems paying for a good product, but I can't say right now that Canada is a good product. So it's just one of those situations where um, you have to look at the end of the day and say, I'm paying a lot of money, I'm working hard, am I getting ahead? Is this worth it? And it just, unfortunately for me, that that answer was no. You can't be the only one in your peer group um, feeling this way, but maybe you're one of the few that has actually done it. Do you talk to other people still back here in Canada or in the you know the GTHA that say, I, I'm kind of envious. You you um you, you know you basically pulled the switch and and made and made the move. We've been having these conversations with my peer group, and my family, for over seriously for about two years. It's been, it's been about a decade long conversation. Um, I don't think anyone thinks I don't think anyone's envious. I think they just think I had an alternative. Um, nobody wants to leave where they're from. Even those who are coming to Canada, they don't want to leave where they're from. When you're an immigrant. And that's what I am now. Mm-hmm. It's usually a tough decision, and it's it's not something that you take lightly or with pleasure. You're jumping in blindly into a new place, hoping that the situation will turn out better. So we've had the conversations, we've had the back and forth, we did the, the hugs that everybody left. Um, we're still talking to people daily because now we have the way to communicate through uh, you know text messages and and um, you know Zoom meetings. It's it's been a bittersweet. So. I feel a little more optimistic, but I, I really do miss home on a daily basis. I, I miss um, my city of Hamilton. I miss my, my family and I miss my friends. And my life has changed dramatically from the things I used to do to what I have to do now. Um, so it's, it's bittersweet. Um, I think people think because of this location that I'm on the beach all day long, but I'm working. And yeah, you're I'm, working. I'm trying yeah. to survive. Yeah, nice to have the beach uh, when you're not working. <laughs> but um, yeah, Ham- Ham- I haven't checked out the beaches in Hamilton. I know Burlington's got some water near it, but uh, but I-, I bring that up as well to note that let's say let's wind the clock back 20 years and you're 25 years old, right? You you got a dream and you have optimism. I mentioned yesterday on the show, like when you're in your mid 20s, you don't know how your life is going to go, but you think I'll put the work in, I'll I'll climb the ladder of the industry I choose, and and hopefully. There's not too many. There's always going to be roadblocks and and you know ladders you fall off of, but I'll, I'll climb back on and I'll do the work. You can't imagine probably being 25 right now in Hamilton or Toronto or Vancouver and thinking, oh, I'll just put all the work in, do what I can do, and I'll 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 get what I want. I don't think kids feel that way anymore. Yeah, that's recently I kind of spoke out because I do feel like we're 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 really hurting the current generation. Young people need to be able to take risks. Um, we will have those yeah. who shore up our society, cops, the nurses, the, you know, um, the firefighters. We will have people who do those things which make the structure of society. But we also need people to take chances, open a store, op- open a business as being a, you know, a carpenter or a plumber, taking the risk, innovating. And if your rent is you know, $2,000 for one bedroom and you can't get funding and you can't fail out the gate, people will not take risks. And then we're going to be a stagnant country and we're not going to be competitive. So we need to, I think people of my age who are in Canada, because I would love to come back to Canada, contribute. Yeah. We need to take the brunt and make yeah. sure that the younger generation can take a risk, that they can try, fail, and try again. Yeah. And without having to become a, a financial catastrophe by them just trying a dream. 
listen, it's such an important conversation. I, I'm glad you spoke out. There's nothing wrong with it. You're a proud Canadian and, and you always will be, I can tell. I, I really appreciate you letting us reach out to you. And um and you know, if you're if you ever want to host a live radio show in your you know, in your front room there, here we are. Here we are. We'll have some talks and see what happens. But hopefully, I can, I can, uh, I well, can see you in studio back that, in Canada. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, in January, exactly. Like as if you're going to fly back here in January. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. No problem. Good to talk to you. Awesome. Roland Cameron's director of optimization for a tech company called Blue Banyan, and he uh, he pulled up stakes and left Canada for Barbados. And he seems pretty happy about it. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. She had a fascinating conversation with Roland Cameron. And I'm glad you you thought you uh, said this would be a great guest. And he was. And just to document again, he was paying about $5,500 for a mortgage in um, Hamilton. Four bedroom, two bathroom home from Hamilton, from Ontario. In Barbados, he's paying Almost half that a month. This house, he has a pool, beautiful in-ground pool, great backyard, lush backyard is the best way I can put it. And I mean, he can do the same job from Barbados. (laughs) Who can blame him? I I, I know it's really easy and people, hey, love it or leave it. And, And that's not Canadian. I'm like, it's who can blame people for taking care of number one at a certain point and doing what's right for their family? Who can blame them? I get that. And it's very tempting, especially during the pandemic. I mean, there were so many conversations about why are we all here? We're all working from home. Yeah. You know, let's get up and let's go somewhere. Uh, But there are other factors that, you know, you have to consider. I mean, okay, it's not the best right now, but let's say our health care, right? If something goes wrong. Um, Kids, schooling, education, all of these things make me hesitate from leaving. But I mean... eh, if I was, let's say, in my early 20s right now, looking to settle, even mid-20s, looking to settle down, buy a home, that's not happening for me. I right. can't afford that here. We have six kids combined, you and me, that, <laughs> th- that look at that that in the next, you know, 15 to 20 years will either be, I mean, my kid will be paying tuition and, and maybe yeah. in residence next next fall, like fall of 24, or renting an apartment in 25, 26, and he wants to go to school in Toronto. Oh, he, he does. does. So Toronto's his first choice. Well, he doesn't want to go to, like, yeah, it's not like, well, I don't want to be in Windsor. I don't want to go to Trenton, Peterborough, or, or like, he, this is where he wants to be. Is at TMU or, or U of T? And I'm like, okay. Um, but yeah, like, you just nailed it. Like, what are the odds that our kids will go six for six and the waters will cool and they'll all be, have great jobs and be able to, have, I didn't, like I have a great job in terms of enjoying it, and and but I I tell you like my my twenties, I was I was absolute my twenties and most of my thirties absolutely paycheck to paycheck for eight or nine years. There's no way, no how, no possibility I could have scraped together even remotely a down payment for anything that would have been over like like two hundred grand. No way, no way. I remember going to U of T. And uh, there were, I had two roommates. We were living in a condo on Bay Street. Rent was, it was a three bedroom. Rent was $1,500 a month. So 500 each. It was the top floor of the building, the 20th floor. You could see the lake. We were in the middle of all the hubbub and we paid 500 bucks a month. And it was amazing. And that's, that's never going to happen again. No, no, it, it, it isn't. And so I don't know what the, what the bottom line is. I know there's parents probably listening and, and even, you know, we have hear from people in their twenties going, oh, like, you know, if only I'd been born 20 years earlier, I get all the anxiety. I, some of the anxiety I don't get about are people that are 
20 years younger than us, but I get not owning a home. I get, I get thinking I got to have two or three jobs just to cover, cover what, what people do. And I, I, I sent you a house. So I went to Michigan with, uh, uh, to see friends about in mid-June, just went for two or three days, and I drove around some old neighborhoods that I know really well, not the neighborhoods we lived in, the neighborhoods we couldn't have afforded to oh, live in ones. well in Michigan. Okay. And I sent you a house in Farmington Hills, Michigan, that is just this beautiful, beautiful thing for, I mean, if, if you live on Golf Point Boulevard, if you, if the golf is in the title of your address, <laughs> I, I assume it's not the it's not the the sticks it's or whatever. It's a gorgeous you, house with a huge backyard. Look at all that deck. landscaping yes. Brady be doing out front. Yes. Like gorgeous. yeah, the stone. I love and putting chip and, and down. Tell me how much it costs. Five hundred forty nine thousand dollars. It's two thousand six hundred ninety square feet, four bedrooms, three bathrooms. I just po- popped it in. Little mortgage calculator uh, friend there, twenty percent down payment. Let's let's say I could do that. Let's say I could afford twenty percent of five hundred forty nine thousand. Twenty year mortgage, and I'm paying about thirty one hundred a month. I mean, I assume my wife's coming with me. I haven't told her about this this move. I'll tell her later today. But this is all a big hypothetical. But if my kids weren't in in Toronto, Sheba, like it, like people do have to. Again, think about the future, and if that helped them buy a home, or that helped them with stability, or if I have a parent that I need to help, you know, we don't know. Like, parents could live till 80, they could live to 95. Like, so you got to be prepped for anything in life. I think when you get to where you and I are, are in our situation, if, if that saved hundreds of thousands of dollars for a retired person or a person just working the last five, six years, I don't blame people for... Taken off to Barbados or Michigan or New York State or wherever. Like, I, I won't tell tales out of school. My sister has a nice place with her husband in, in Rochester, New York. There's no way that place would sell for more than 300000 And it's wow. gorgeous. What could you get for $500,000 in Toronto? Nothing. 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 And I know I just, it's American. But I, I still don't think that's the answer. <sighs> I, I just, I don't. I, I don't think it's the, I, I don't know. I, I just, I love my city. I don't want to leave it. How do we get around affording affordability? I don't know. I mean, that's you see the GTA getting bigger and bigger and more widespread. People are in Kitchener, Waterloo, and they're on the other side. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, in Peterborough, just trying to make it into downtown Toronto. I don't know what the answer is, but there's no place that I've ever lived like Toronto. No, I agree. I, I don't want it to, to either. Like, I, I love, but I'm worried. I'm worried I love, I loved what we were. In Toronto, it was so. I've always talked about coming Great up from point. London, and 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 I'm worried that I love what we could potentially be again. I think we're going to fix some things. I actually think we're a lot more awakened than we were a half decade ago into stuff we need to do: housing, healthcare, even tweaking education. I think we're going to tweak some things, and not everyone's going to love it. Not everybody loves everything at the same time. But I bring that up to note, like like you and I are saying that. But what are our six kids and their respective partners yeah, going to say when they're point. when they're thirty? Does this work for them or does this not? And if it doesn't, we got you know there's people that have moved to Alberta and they've moved to Halifax. And I I said I was saying to my um my brother in law is from Nova Scotia, and I said he said I love Halifax now it's so much cooler and feels like a bigger city than it was twenty years ago. There's so much to do and and he goes if if you need to do something in a big city you go to Boston. You could just fly down to Boston or drive there. It's three and a half, four hours to go to Boston if you if you get all the lights. Like it's like it doesn't have to be this way. 
in a major city where it's just is so freaking expensive. Yeah, you're asking all the hard questions, but are you, uh, do you really want to see one of your sons move to Halifax no. permanently? Yeah, me neither. No. Like my kids have no choice. I've told them you're all going away for university. First of all, they have no choice. They're going to university, but they're you have to go away. I went away. I learned so much about life. I got my first credit card, bills, debt, uh, people, right? The world. Mm-hmm. So you have to go away, but they're going to come right back. But then once they get settled in the, on their own feet and hopefully you know independent financially. What happens then? I don't know. But I don't know if they come back. I, I, like, no, they, I told them you have to come back. Well, I, I, I w- can't lose them at 17 or 18, whatever. It's 17 now. So I, I feel like I might have told this story, but I, I went to England for five weeks. I went to England for five weeks and I knew um, the, the person that I would be uh, staying with, who's like my best friend, like not staying with, but working for at a radio station there, kind of interning for five weeks in between my years at journalism school. But I met this girl there who was a nanny, and I called my parents and I said, You've, "Yes, I know that." Yeah, I, I said, "I said I'm sorry, I've fallen in love and I need to stay." And my dad's like, "Are you nuts? You have a job at a record store, and you're going to your sec- at nine bucks an hour, and you're going to your second year of journalism school, and you're taking the <laughs> flight back that you booked in April. You're not staying an extra week." But you week, listened to him, numbskull. You yeah, I sure did. You got on the plane, <laughs> so you did come back. Any regrets? <laughs> what happened with you two? No, no, we need to know the best part of the story. Did you guys ever try to do it long distance? I sent her flowers, I think, uh, at one point in time. And I think I think I called and her dad answered and she wasn't home. Or her dad, or she was like, tell him I'm not home. This was only meant to be like a nine-day thing. A summer fling. Oh, nine days? A summer London Brady, fling. Brady, you're ready to stop your life after nine I days. I really was. I was at nine hours. You sh- uh, anyway, maybe I was in a bit of a slump prior to that. Who's to say? Um, too much information, Gordon. Is the right amount of information or too much information? Hey, I wasn't. Oh, hey, look at the time. Yeah, you just. What do you know? <laughs> I'm waiting for Olivia Chow to cut me off. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto. So you saw earlier this week. This story has had some weaves and turns. Ottawa announces the immigration minister, specifically Sean Fraser, says we're going to put money into the interim housing assistance program. It's not going to be just for Toronto, but it's going to be for other cities as well. But Toronto's obviously facing um, a run, if you will, of shelter refugees who need somewhere to live, somewhere to get their lives started. You can't say, hey, we're a sanctuary city. We can't say, you know, come one, come all. And then let people sleep on pavement night after night after night after night. And that's what's been happening in the city right now. So $97 million goes for the city to house asylum seekers. We had Kevin Vong on yesterday, the independent MP. And independence lets you say things sometimes. It's a good thing sometimes. And he made the point that all of a sudden we've got we've got beds for shelter refugees that we didn't have before the $97 million announcement. So there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff that's under the surface there. Our next guest um, was a former uh, municipal council candidate and took some great video from the scene. He's been out there. He's been putting, basically walking the walk, putting his money where his mouth is, and he's kind enough to join us now on Toronto Today. He is Rocco Achimpong. Rocco, thanks very much for letting us reach out to you, and thanks for uh, being on the show again, obviously. Uh, good morning, Greg. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. So you were taking some video last night. You were there. That's yesterday wasn't the only day you were there as well. Um, I watched a lot of your your video and, and had thoughts. What were your thoughts when arriving right there? It seemed chaotic. It seemed loud. It obviously um, there were people that were going to be transferred to a church. Um, some people got to the church, decided to come back. There's a lot that's that's in the air about this situation. 
I've actually also taken a walk there this morning mm-hmm. uh, because it's right next to uh, to my neighborhood. Um, and uh, there are about 10 uh, people that are sleeping and sitting there uh, reading books or whatever the case may be, um, looking to access 129 uh, uh, Peter Street for, for services because apparently the church is uh, proving inadequate. They only have one washroom for about 200 people. Um, and the women were complaining because there's only one washroom for the for the women as well. And there isn't, and they were concerned with the portion of food uh, they were getting. When they were here, at least, we knew where they were. They were localized. They were central. They were around a significant density of people who wanted to help. So we would all gather and just grab a whole bunch of food, buy a whole bunch of food from some restaurant clients that I do have, uh, and just bring it to them to feed them. But there have been complaints. Yeah, when I see the photos, too, and I see the video, two things struck me from the video. It's just... Obviously, if people are coming in via Pearson Airport, they're, they've accumulated um, what, goods and, and clothing since arriving here because there's an awful lot of um, garbage bags. And it's not garbage. It's actually property and, and things that they hope to begin a life with. It's, there's loud music. There's, it just seemed like a bit of a chaotic scene around 10 o'clock last night on the streets. Well, it was a bit chaotic, and it's not as if like these guys are, you know, we're, we're the European situation where these guys are arriving on boats with nothing in hand whatsoever. These guys are actually getting visas from their countries of origin mm-hmm. and landing at Pearson thinking that they would be helped because that was the promise that was made. And then they get here only to be told that there are no spaces for refugees uh, in the city of Toronto, but then the announcement comes, and I, I share Kevin's cynicism. All of a sudden, we found new capacity and 150 beds would be made available in 100 in the coming week. Uh, coming days, which doesn't make sense, which means the capacity already existed. We could have already done this and we didn't do it. Number one, and the mass is not massing. You've heard that expression, yep, right? Yep. Um, if 250 beds uh, to be had in the up and coming weeks, uh, is that in addition to the hotel space that they say they're going to make uh, available? Are they going to be able to shelter each and every refugee? Or is it just 250 people that are going to be taken care of? These are the, and, and as you know, the influx uh, has not stopped. It's not abated. It's going to continue for some time uh, until, uh, until the situation in Africa, uh, we, until we get a handle on the situation in Africa. As you know, a lot of these people are coming from Uganda, Tanzania, Nigeria, some of these countries where uh, homophobic legislation is being passed. Um, basically, if you advocate on behalf of uh, LGBTQ rights, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. You're going to go to jail. So these guys are basically fleeing countries that are not permitting them, uh, permitting them to be themselves. And they come here thinking that they'll find some refuge and uh, we give them concrete. Right. So. And I, I know that, you know, it, even the premier weighed in again, I, I don't think there's anything political. Uh, I, there shouldn't be anything left, right or center about giving people a baseline. I, I, I've often said I, I think you can give people equal opportunity to be something. Equity's really hard in the long term to create, but you can give them opportunity. And, and right now we're not doing that. What are you disappointed in with either the mayor or city council that they just haven't done in the last couple of weeks that they should have? It was the mayor uh, and particularly uh, the local councillor, and that disappointed me, Mayor Chow and uh, Councillor Osmo Malik. Number one, I mean, you waited to your first meeting to put this on, on the agenda. You could have easily had a special agenda, a special meeting to deal with this one uh, specific agenda item and to open up uh, immediate capacity or, or sorry, uh, mm-hmm. open up the doors to make use of the city real estate to at least get them out of the elements. You did not do that. 
private persons. One one person that stands out for me is uh, uh, Reverend Alexa Gilmore of the United Church. She had to go buy them tarp coverings so that they would not be uh, rained on during the thunderstorms that we've had in the past two days. We had to go get tents for them. We I have I've taken out three jackets for people that were cold. Right. And uh, uh, privately. And then on top of that, I had to uh, expense uh, thousands of dollars on food for them uh, to be able to to be able to eat. And yet your spirits and you, you mentioned uh, the fact that there was music. Your mm-hmm. spirits are still so high. They're yeah. still so sort of hopeful. They've got this African vibe of whatever uh, terrible situation we find ourselves in. We're still going to dance. We're still going to make merry because all shall be well. But. You, the mayor, never once attended to say, look, I see you. Help is on the way. You did not do that. Council um, uh, did not meet. There was no special meeting. There was no direction for city staff to uh, make available as much as possible in terms of capacity or beds. Make available as much as possible. You didn't do that. You didn't provide them toiletries, uh, uh, hygiene materials. Pregnant women sleeping on concrete that really broke my heart and it was personal to me because my mom was such one such refugee claimant in the mid 1980s when I was brought here as a child. Right. So for me, it was very personal. And then you're 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 over 129 Peter Street. And then you also see that Canadians who are also not being catered to are sleeping on the floor, also asking there are no beds. Right. So now not only is capacity being affected by these uh, by the influx of refugees, but you have domestic residents. Canadian citizens who don't even have a place to sleep and they're complaining. And one guy actually said, Rocco, how about us? Right. And that was that was that was that that was tear jerking. How about us? Right? So the, the situation, we shouldn't be patting ourselves on the back. Council shouldn't be uh, glad handing, thinking they've done something well. They haven't done anything yet. The city failed. Rocco Atchampong. Yeah, Rocco Atchampong's our guest. Just just to reset things. I know you've traveled the world and, and you know, international cities. I'd ask you this, though, like this is I, I worry it's been too easy for council and for others and even the federal government for a, p- a point in time. To kind of look away because we're in good weather right now. But Rocco, you know the difference between Toronto in January and San Francisco or Vancouver or Portland. You stay outside in January, February, five months of the year really here. You're going to die. You'll die in, in Toronto. And I, I just worry it's too easy to look the other way in, in June, July and August. If this happened in January, we would be there would be deaths reported. Yes. Right. Um, I was in the Riviera and uh, ventured off into Italy. There's a little town there called Ventimiglia, which is basically the epicenter for the migrant crisis in Italy, the landing spot. It was horrible. For a moment, my backyard here on Richmond was starting to look like Ventimiglia. Only they weren't as scary looking um, as uh, some of those uh, people in Italy that have been sleeping on the streets for months. Luckily, these guys only had a matter of weeks. Right. And they had people supporting them. They had people uh, in the neighborhood come together quickly to support them. And so we basically filled the gap that government was supposed to fill. We, we private citizens are not refugee settlement agencies. <laughs> right. We're not. I don't have the lived, uh, the learned experience or the expertise to take care of refugees and point them in the right direction. I could probably file your claim for you as a lawyer, but I can't yeah, tell yeah. you uh, what other uh, how else to access other services. 
right? And we were the ones doing this, and government was totally missing, and they were just having discussions and meetings. What the hell was that about, right? Get some tents on the ground, get them some jackets, get them some toiletries. We were doing that. How come you couldn't do that until a solution was found? Yeah, I, I, yeah, ab- absolutely. And like you said, they're, they're just they, this just reeks of political opportunism on a lot of fronts, not just one and not just one level of government that, oh, are, are polling numbers down? Are you worried about how people are going to perceive you? Then you step up and do something. It's not about the immediate need of the people. It's how it's going to be perceived with your actions. Um, it's no good. I, I, hey, listen, we got to have more conversations about it sooner rather than later. And I really appreciate you doing what you're doing and telling us about it as well, Um, because you're you're doing something for the greater good. And we need more people like you to do that. Thanks, brother. All right. Rocco Achimpong joining us on Toronto Today. And we'll certainly talk again uh, with Rocco on this front. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Josh Matlow, um, about a minute from now, I wanted to get Marcus on. Marcus, you're a truck driver. Wanted to weigh in on this topic. um, And I appreciate you doing so. Go right ahead. Hey, Greg. So I get the advantage, A, of being in and around a lot of southern Ontario. And then when we're in places, I have a much higher vantage point to look from. Yeah. Truck. And you see it everywhere. Now, you were mentioning Ajax. You see it out there. I see it in Brockville. You get off the highway. There was two tending cabins. They've been cleared and come back up again. Uh, Peterborough. Um, Peterborough's got a bad one right down Peterborough's got a huge tent, tent city. That's already right happened. Of, I know right this. Right off of George Street. Yes. It, it, it's very, and a lot of this, from what I see, I live in Brampton. Um, I get off at Steeles Avenue almost every day. There's a men's shelter not far from Steeles and 410. Mm-hmm. And you see the same guys all the time. And you, you, the odd time you'll see a new guy, and you can maybe tell he's down on his luck, but most of the guys I'm looking at, or they're usually strung out. And I can literally see the same guy at 8 o'clock in the morning. I can come back from doing runs during the day, and I'll see him at a different intersection two kilometers further down. But that's all he's been doing all day. And I've always said, if you could put that effort into actually a, a job, you, you could be successful. Right, and, wanna- and they need, Marcus, they need a shelter. But what we can't do, that person without treatment can't maintain an apartment. They can't no. come to work 35, 40 hours a week. Uh, they, they can't. They can't live. They can't live their life as an addict. And it's not everybody, but it's not nobody either is the problem. Exactly. And, you know, you're, you're, you're mentioning the, the industrial complex of the poverty industry, let's say. I, I donate clothes to this shelter, and I've gone online, mm-hmm. and, they, and they put up reviews. Um, people are saying, oh, well, it's not this, it's not that, it's, it's not as nice. What do you expect? Okay, it's a shelter. It should be reasonable. It's not the Four Seasons. It's not. No, 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 no. Exactly. Thank you very much for the phone call. I'm very uh, pleased to have our next guest on. I know how passionately he cares about this issue. He's happy to have the tough conversations about things like this. Uh, He's City Councilor Josh Madlow. We've had about a half hour calls, Josh, about. um, Yeah, it's great to have you on and uh, and great to reconnect. Um, I'll tell I'll tell you what we've had so many calls about um, and we've got so many issues, right? I know 26 to, to zero vote yesterday to do something really important, something vital for refugees coming to Toronto. And and yet you it was such a campaign issue, the homeless crisis. And this just Absolutely. it's got so many layers to it that affect our economy and transit and safety. Uh, like it, it's going to take work. I know you're in for the long haul on on making us this a better city in this context. Even your mayoral campaign. What did you learn about what people think about this issue? People understand that we have uh, a crisis 
and it's a housing crisis. It's a human crisis. Um, it, there are a lot of layers. Uh, there, you know, there are there are people who are in this country who are suffering on our streets, who do need support, who do need access to housing, who do need access to shelter in the interim, uh, and they need supportive housing uh, in many cases as well. But we also have an influx of refugees who uh, are coming uh, to this country because they're often escaping uh, cruel and awful situations from where they're from. And uh, there is no system in place to ensure that they are sheltered appropriately and provided the supports that they need to uh, be able to uh, you know, be part of our society successfully. So there are so many different layers. And what it comes down to, as I've learned, mm. is that we talk about refugees, we talk about the homeless, we talk about the impact that it has on the TDC, we talk about all these different layers. But each individual has a different story. And we need to make sure that we have a system in place to make sure that each individual gets on the path that they need to get on to, as you said earlier, so that they can live a functional, successful and healthy life. I I remember this. I mean, it was obviously a massive story when Lamport um, Stadium's encampment was was cleared out two summers ago. It's hard to believe that, but it's twenty about yeah. twenty three months ago. Josh, it's it's the new normal now, and it's the new normal in Toronto. And as we said, Peterborough, Sudbury, where I am in Ajax, pick, around like, the world, it, around, around the, world. the world. So it, this can't just be all about public funding. This can't just be all about. Um, you know, issues that are, well, someone's down on their luck. There's something more to it than that. This, this needs a multi-pronged approach here. Absolutely. And, uh, and as you alluded to earlier, uh, we need to get down to the roots. I mean, the roots are, there are too many people who are suffering on our streets who have, whether it be mental health challenges, addiction challenges that have not been addressed and, um, you know, they are not going to be able to be healthy and successful in life unless those issues are genuinely addressed from the roots. Um, we have refugees who are coming here who, if they are not supported and provided the shelter they need and access to just being able to get their lives in order, get jobs, you know, start, you know, looking for a real home, um, providing for their families. Um, they're not going to be, they're not getting to get off the streets as well. So it, 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 it's systematic, we, systemic rather. We need to make sure that we have the systems in place to make sure that every individual gets what they need to be successful. And therefore, we're all successful. In other words, like, I'll give you like sort of a yeah. micro issue. When we see homeless on the TTC, which was a big issue for many weeks, yeah. Um, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not a matter of the problem is that they're on the TTC. The problem is, is that they're taking refuge in the TTC because they don't have any other options. So we need to fix that. And that's what I'm dedicated to working on. And I know that, uh, our new mayor is putting a lot of attention in this direction. I know, I know that's, that's true. Um, and, and I, I'd say you were, you were the two most aggressive on the campaign trail, though you differed on many other issues. You were the most aggressive on the campaign trail. Give me a sense of the urgency level. Like urgency is now when you hear about a pregnant woman sleeping on the concrete of a Toronto street outside Peter Street on Peter Street. Yeah. In July, it's concerning, Josh. But you just made the point. And we know how short our summers are. We know how short our good weather is for those of us privileged enough to enjoy backyards and weather and, and cottages or whatnot. We're going to get to November here with an influx of refugees, more people on the street with drug problems. 
comes and they will start riding the TTC and sleeping in um, in sleeping in apartment, you know, lobbies again and bank lobbies and malls. We got to fix this in the next four months or at least get a better handle on it. Well, so, you know, if 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 the the answer to the question of how urgent does this administration see this problem as um, I was very impressed that uh, when Olivia Chow was elected, um, she started working on this issue immediately. I spoke with her about the refugee crisis very early on. Yeah. And not only did she, um, yeah, listen, she'll, she'll be the first one to admit it's far from solved. It's just, it's just beginning. <clears throat> but she was able to actually get more money out of the federal government uh, than I've ever seen come uh, to, uh, to support the refugee uh, crisis to address uh, many of the, uh, the, you know, the one-off shelter needs. There's much more work that needs to be done. But what a lot of people don't understand is that Olivia Chow literally just moved into her office physically a day ago. Yeah. So in other words, as she was hiring, as she was going through this really quick transition, she was doing all this. And that's, I find that impressive. That says to me that she's taking this seriously. And I also appreciate that she's not going up in front of a microphone and boasting about how, you know, problem is solved and mission accomplished. She's admitting that this, she's not boasting about all the good work she's done, even though she's done a lot of good work. She's admitting that there's so much more work to do. And I think that's the first thing we need to do, which is get every government together and say, we have to actually fix the systems here so that we don't keep going through the same the same yeah. problem year after year after year. You got it. And listen, every major city in North America is facing this to varying degrees. They have various ideologies with their governments, various setups with yep. their government. Maybe Toronto can kind of kind of light the path and other people can say, look, it's working there. We look, we sure look to other cities about things and say, hey, that happens there. Why don't we try it? So maybe Should, this. And shouldn't that be the goal? Of course. That be the goal. Major cities around the world are going through a very similar experience. Yeah. Homelessness crisis, refugee crises. We're seeing that take place in Europe all over the place. So should we not uh, focus on putting together a system that works where when refugees arrive, that there's actually an intake system at the airport to make sure that they get the shelter and the housing that they need, access to, whether it be a path to status, yeah. access to jobs, a real way to support people. Tons of tons of conversations are needed about this, Josh. Thanks for starting us off today with it. And, uh, and I know we'll talk later in the summer. I appreciate the time. My delight. Thank you, Rick. Josh Matlow.